What's up, Kristen? Welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I know. Me too. Me too. You know, before I let you give your little intro, I like to always give my guests a little intro as well. And selfishly, I'm excited to have you here today because the directions and the topics that we're going to be talking about are not necessarily my area of expertise, nor do I actually have any experience in them in, in terms of parenthood, you know, being a mother, being a father. But it is something that my wife and I have been talking about doing here in the next year and a half or so. And, you know, God, you know, allowing us to bring somebody into this to this world. So selfishly, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today are things that my wife and I have been thinking about. And and I don't know if you can prepare too much or too soon for being a parent necessarily, but it's just a, it's a complete mindset shift. And I think there's a lot of mindset shifts that do happen with that in your approaches to health and fitness. And that's just something that I think you do an incredibly good job at. And you and I, we, I think met for the first time at kind of that mentorship that we were able to, to get together at here this last year, but yep. following you on social media, getting to know you as a person and a practitioner, like it sounds weird to say, but there's not a lot of people out there like you who exist in this like parenthood like caregiver space that are there for not the black or white statements, right? Like the the messages that you give are, and I hate to say this, but usually against what the norm is of what we think as parents is healthy or not healthy, quote unquote, right? And we'll kind of dive into those yeah. kind of things. But I think you, you do a really good job of challenging the norm. And I hate to say the norm be, because I think there's different you know, perceptions of what it means to be a parent and, and all these things, but your perspective and how you approach it and how you, you know, are a mom yourself, it's very inspiring. And I think it's, I think it's worth having a ton of conversations about that. I don't think people actually have conversations about before they parent, right. Or, or are willing to learn about some of these things that maybe challenges the beliefs that they've had growing up. So I just think you do a really good job at that. And I've selfishly wanted to have a conversation with you about it, but I know a lot of people will benefit from a lot of the topics that we talk about today as well. So just want to thank you for that. And with that being said, yeah. feel free to just give your little intro, little word vomit on who you are, what you do, and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for those kind words. That's literally the whole point of what I do is to kind of go against the norm and create a new normal uh, as far as how we teach our kids to feed themselves and how we teach them to um, eat and and nourish their body essentially. So, and that complete, not necessarily completely different from how I started as a dietitian, but I actually started college wanting to be a teacher because I love kids, always have. I babysat forever, like starting at 11 years old. And I started out wanting to be a teacher. And then I had a roommate in college who uh, wanted to lose weight. And I was like, well, I don't really know how to do that. But I don't think the Oreo cookies and the, the Coca-Cola and like whatever else she brought was, was a good idea. <laughs> so um, anyway, long story short, at the end of that semester, uh, she had lost 20 pounds, which was like, Oh, cool. I had dragged her to the gym with me. I, you know, we ate all of our meals together and she was also a sophomore at the time, also an education major. So I kind of saw what I was in for as being a teaching major. And I was like, that does not sound fun. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. I just want to teach little kids two plus two. 
And so then after I had that experience of like basically helping her lose weight, I was like, oh, maybe that's what I want to do. That's cool. So I transferred and uh, ended up commuting to school. And I knew as soon as I took my first nutrition class, I'm like, this is it. This is exactly what I have been meant to do my entire life. I It totally, I was so into it. And uh, I also started to go to group fitness classes at that time. And uh, that, and once they found out I was a nutrition major, they're like, you should become a certified personal trainer. That would be a great, you know, compliment to nutrition. I'm like, okay, sure. So they ended up paying for my personal training certification, which is really cool. And I had hands-on experience. Um, and right after I graduated, did the internship, passed the exam, all that fun stuff you get to do to become a dietitian. Um, I started working for a local gym and she kind of, the business owner was like, oh, you can, you know, do whatever you want as far as nutrition. And naive little me was like, oh, this is gonna be sick. Like, I'm just gonna teach group fitness class. I'm gonna run this like super successful nutrition program. And both you and I have our own businesses and we both know that's not that easy. <laughs> um, so like that totally crouched and burned, but it was fine. It's great learning experience. And, like totally, totally okay. Then I was a retail dietitian for a while in a grocery store and that was super fun. That's a lot of teaching, um, like, you know, grocery store tours and recipes and things like that. And um, you know, I loved that aspect of it. And actually just in the last six months, I've realized that that's really truly what I enjoy doing is teaching people about nutrition, not necessarily coaching. Um, and I really didn't, I was all over the place as far as like nutrition and fitness up until about six months ago. Um, and even now I'm transitioning still into my niche. I still have like other things I'm doing, but I realized that I like teaching a lot more, which is kind of funny because that's what I started out thinking I was going to do. Um, I just realized I didn't want to teach kind of like the standard education system stuff. Um, and then I also realized since becoming a mom that feeding kids is fucking hard. <laughs> it is, you start out, like I literally pictured myself Oh, I'm only going to feed them healthy foods. They're never going to have sugar. I'm never going to have crap in my house, like blah, blah, blah. And then you become a parent and any parent would agree with me that it is the most humbling experience you will ever, ever have. You think, you know, you think, you know, what kind of parent you're going to be. And then you have your first kid and you're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> What was I thinking? You just don't know. There's really, you mentioned like, oh, we're trying to prepare for it. Da, da, da. You can't. <laughs> Almost like the and act of preparing for it and you thinking like, hey, I'm going to do all these things. But knowing that none of that <laughs> shit is likely going to happen is also maybe a benefit to that. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny because it's like, hey, you just deal with what you deal with when it comes and then you just roll with the punches as they come. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things I tell all new parents and like expecting parents, I'm like, lower your expectations and then lower them again and probably lower them again, because it's not going to go the way you think it is. And if it does, it's like, yay, that's amazing. And every once in a while it does, but in general, kids are very unpredictable. So my approach to feeding my kids changed drastically once I had them. <laughs> Absolutely. And once I realized that, oh, I can't 
I can't control everything about what they eat. And really what did it for me was thinking about when I wasn't going to be there with them. Um, and I'm like, if I restrict all those quote unquote bad foods, that what's going to happen is they're going to turn into like the adults that, that I've seen before where like, they can't have quote unquote bad food in the house. I'm talking like candy chips, brownies, like, you know, all that stuff that society kind of labels as bad. And now these adults struggle with the most basic human need, which is eating. And I'm sure you see it too. I'm sure you see it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of times it's, it's stuff that we learn at a young age that translates into us in our adolescent years, our twenties, our thirties. And unless you consciously make an effort to change that or to challenge the things that you've been taught or have been, you know, seeing your whole life, I mean, we're we're bombarded with a ton of shits from an early age. I mean, especially females too. Right. And I, I think that's the hard part about this whole thing is like, you know, we have this perception of what it means to be healthy as we continue to get older. When in reality, like that may or may not actually be productive at the end of the day, especially when it comes to bringing kids into this world and raising them in a way that ideally we want to raise our kids into, you know, a better environment and give them something, you know, better that, that we didn't have maybe, or give them a different opportunity that maybe we didn't have. And, and I think that, you know, you know, spectrum of, of how, you know, good we've had it versus how bad others have had it. I think that's all individualized and we kind of give our kids our own version of that story, but yeah, I, yeah. I think it's very fascinating. And, and just diving into that a little bit, you know, I think, I think in general, the information that we have that gives us any idea on how to approach parenting or what kind of parents we want to be is how we grew up as children, right? And how we were parented growing up and, and whether we consciously or subconsciously do it, right? Like, I feel like that shapes our perception on what kind of parents we want to be, you know? And, and when you say it's like, Hey, I had this idea. I wanted to have healthy foods and then not have the junk food in the house and then be super clean and healthy and all this stuff. But I'm curious if you could just do me a favor and just give us a little insight into what your childhood was like and how that started to shape your views around things. And was that positive or negative? And we're not here to talk shit on our parents or, you know, we could <laughs> yeah. praise our parents for sure, but just your own version of that, of like, how was your childhood? Um, how did that shape your perception of things? And, and maybe how did that change over time? Well, so I grew up in the nineties, as I think you did as well. We're similar ages. I was born in 95. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> I was born in 89. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a little yeah. bit, a little bit older than you. Cool. Um, but the nineties was like the height of like dieting, like the low fat, low calorie, like all the crazy diet magazines. Um, it was like the height of that. Thankfully I grew up with parents who never dieted. I never witnessed either one of my parents dieting ever, but I do remember both of them um, kind of criticizing their own body out loud. They never criticized mine or my younger brothers, but I definitely remember my mom talking critically about hers. Um, and that has research has shown that has the biggest impact on how you view yourself uh, from a body image perspective is how your parent, how you heard your parents talking about their body. Um, thankfully I still like, I don't feel like my mom said enough, like she wasn't consistent with it enough for it to really have a negative impact on me. Um, and she was a nurse. So she had some 
concept of like healthy lifestyle. Uh, I never felt restricted. I never felt, uh, you know, like she never made me go on a diet. Like I had friends who accompanied their mom to Weight Watchers at like 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Like, which is more common than we might think it is too, honestly. Oh, 100%. But like a 10, 11 year old needing to lose weight they're growing. They're a, they're a growing human. Like they do not need to go to Weight Watchers and count calories and you know, whatever. So, but it is true that every feeling and emotion that a person has toward food is likely from how food and eating were presented in their home. Every single one, whether it's happiness, comfort, guilt, labeling a food as bad or good, healthy, unhealthy, that is all rooted in childhood, all of it. And that's what I realized after I became a mom myself and working with adults to struggle with a relationship with food. I was like, okay, I can't restrict my kids from all these things. I Luckily, I don't really talk negatively. I've never talked negatively about my body really ever but I really make a conscious effort not to now. Um, And once I kind of put two and two together and saw that pattern in adults, I'm like, okay, this is all rooted in childhood. And it is so hard to get out of that when you're already an adult with that ingrained kind of those like pathways in your brain of like how you think of food. It's, so hard to change that. You can, it just takes so much work. Um, Whereas my goal for my kids is to basically lay a really good foundation to help them listen to their body, listen to their internal cues. One of the things that I say to them often is only you know what's best for your body. And that can be, that can be related to so many things, food and You know, if someone is like touching them that shouldn't be, and it's uncomfortable, like being in tune with your body has so many benefits. And so my goal with them is to teach them how different foods make their body feel. So rather than labeling a food as, oh, this food is bad for you. It has too much sugar. I'll say something to them like, ooh, you know, like you just ate, let's say they ate a bunch of chocolate, you know, after Halloween and, you know, an hour later, they're hungry, right? Like, well, do you think if you ate some protein with that chocolate or you didn't eat as much chocolate, do you think you'd be hungry right now? And so it just kind of, you you tap into their innate curiosity because that kids really do have like a, a motivation to learn and figure things out. And so rather than like labeling food as good or bad, you can teach them how that food feels in their, in their body. And then they will automatically know like, oh, I probably shouldn't eat a ton of sugar all the time because I will feel like shit <laughs> if I do that. Um, and so that tends to be a lot better, ser- serving them a lot better long-term and kind of creates a really solid foundation against what they will inevitably encounter as they get older. And when I say that, I mean the diet industry, right? So like at some point they are going to hear those things, right? At some point they're my girls, I have twin girls who are six and I have a son who's three. At some point, my girls especially are going to 
realize that like there's a certain body type that's preferred by society and there's a certain way of eating that's preferred or or they're going to be told to eat and my goal for them is for them to encounter that and be like fuck that no <laughs> like you know what's best for my body that's like i know that um so that's kind of my goal for them and that was a really long-winded answer to your original question <laughs> no that was an incredible answer yeah and <laughs> yeah kids are smart you know like mm-hmm. and i and maybe smart isn't the best word for that but they're like you said they're very intuitive and they can understand things and if you talk to them like a normal human being and and, and again at certain ages i think this information can stick or just go in one out in one in ear out the other ear kind of thing but the more they're exposed to it and, and especially from a young age like the more likely they are to to again good or bad whatever that information that it, it is that you're teaching them you know, have things like when they get to middle school and then somebody's trying to get skinnier, they hear about that, like that can either exacerbate or challenge some of the things that they've learned from a young age. And that can another be another good, you know, opportunity for a conversation or another learning experience. But it's it's the groundwork that it's, you know, that you lay as a parent from a very young age, you know, whether those whether those behaviors are intentionally helping them or, you know, Fortunately, maybe hurting them down the road, like time will tell with that. But yeah, it's, it's amazing because kids pick up on a lot of shit and they're very smart. And I think you bring up a good point where it's like being able to talk through that thing, talk through things and talk why and use those as learning experiences, I think is a really important and powerful piece to this because, you know, it's one thing to have actions and the things that you're doing in the house, but it's, it's, it's another thing to understand the intent in which you're doing things with, right? Like, like there could be things that we perceive as healthy, not having any sweets around the house, right? Like not having dessert after, after meals or throwing away all the Halloween candy after Halloween, because it's bad. And it's going to, you know, it's got sugar and it's going to make you fat. Right. And, and only eating, you know, fruits and vegetables and a protein at every meal. It's like, I mean, is that bad in the end of the world? Like not necessarily, but if the conversations around that you know, are geared towards we're doing this because we have to be skinny or we need to lose weight or mom's on another diet, or, you know, this is what Weight Watchers is telling us is healthy. And this is the rules that we have to abide by. Like that's completely different than, you know, maybe somebody growing up in a house where it's like, Hey, you know, having conversations, we have this protein source because it helps keeps us fuller for longer. And we need to make sure that we're giving our body enough of these, you know, things to make our muscles strong. And so you can continue to grow and we're having these carbs and maybe these desserts, you know, not because they're bad, but because it helps keep you satisfied after a meal, right? Like there's a difference between being satiated and like being satisfied sometimes, right? And like, sometimes we need that little bite of chocolate after, after dinner to help us, you know, feel like we're done eating for the day. But it's, I think it's the conversations and the words that we use to describe the actions that we're doing are just as important as the actions themselves. Cause, cause it's not black and white. It's not like if you eat broccoli and you eat asparagus every night for dinner, like that's not good, nor is it bad, right? We need context and, and we need to talk about the things that we're doing in that sense to help them relay that message. So yes, hold on. I want to touch on that. So adults don't see things as black and white kids do which is why labeling foods as good and bad they see it as ooh i'm a bad person for wanting dessert i'm a bad person for liking sugar they feel bad because they like what we label as bad foods 
and adults, it's hard to really understand that because, well, there are so many adults who label food like that and think of food like that. But again, that's rooted in their childhood, right? Um, but kids really can't think past that until they're like over 12 years old. They really see things as like good, bad when they're labeled like that. So it's, that's one of the things that I encourage parents the most to not do is labeling food. Just call food what it is. A cookie is a cookie. Broccoli is broccoli. Chicken is chicken. Brownie is brownie. Like just call it what it is. Stop labeling things good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, treat, special. I think we're all kind of conditioned to just label food as those things. But one of the easiest things you can do is just stop doing that. And the more the more you stop doing that as a parent, the more you start to just take that on and and believe it. Like, oh right, okay, food is not good or bad. Like, why have I been doing this my whole life? <laughs> why why have I been calling carrots good and a brownie bad? Food has no no moral value, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, like some of the other traditional practices, uh, essentially, like stop what kids are naturally born knowing how to do like eat two more bites and then you can be done or like the clean plate club right um or bribing oh you know eat the rest of your chicken and then you can have dessert that puts dessert on a pedestal dessert is better than chicken then they just end up hating chicken we don't want them to hate chicken So it's actually doing like parents really do think they're doing something really good by like they finished all their dinner or they ate their vegetables and then they were able to have dessert. That's actually doing the opposite of what they want, like long term to happen. So neutral language is very key around food. And instead of saying something like, oh, you know, eat two more bites and then you can have this. It's better to say, oh, okay, your tummy is full. Good job listening to your tummy. That's something I say to my kids all the time. Good job listening to your tummy. Only you know how your body feels because it's true, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, And I think that's, yeah, you bring up a really good point because it's like, I think, and maybe this is more geared towards like, hey, the population that you serve are more parents or or people who have children, I would, right? I think that's what kind of your primary population you work with is. And it's like, yeah, you know, the stuff that you teach your kids and the stuff that happens with your kids, it always has to start with yourself and that change that you make with yourself. And it's almost like the best prep work. That, and this is what I've been thinking about is like the best prep work that anybody could do, even myself included, is to get our own shit together when, you know, maybe bringing talking about bringing kids into this world or actually having them and realizing like, Hey, maybe I have a lot of work and awareness that I need to do around myself. And it's almost like getting our own shit together when raising our kids is going to be the thing that helps us not fuck up our kids the most, right? Like <laughs> fuck up their relationship with their food and with their body. Right. Cause it's a lot of the behaviors and the words and the actions that we do as, as adults, as, as parents that, are likely going to transfer down to that, whether we like that or not, or whether we're pushing some different narrative onto them, like they still pick up on everything that we're doing. So I think that's where a lot of benefit comes from, you know, investing time and energy into yourself and being able to like actually explore, like, what, what was I like as a kid? What were my thoughts and my beliefs? What, what environment did I grow up in? 
What do I yeah. think now? Has that changed over time? And that's usually a catalyst to change. Or, you know, sometimes people have those experiences where, hey, my childhood wasn't very awesome. I had all these things. And then they go to the other extreme with that. But there's still some dangerous sides of being overly protective, overly healthy, overly like emphasizing not doing some of these things. And it's almost like some of those problems still happen, but just on the other end of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reality is like children are going to have access to any food they want someday. Any food they want. They are not always going to live in a household that never buys ice cream, never buys chips, never buys candy, never buys cookies. So they eventually when they grow up, whether this is at a friend's house, college, adulthood, like I don't care if you homeschool your kids, they go to public school, whatever. At some point in their life, they will have access to whatever they want. And the ones that have felt any restriction at all around any food, guess what they're going to go crazy for? That exact food. Okay. So then they're going to eat it, a lot of it, for a long time. And then they're going to feel guilty. Then they're going to start restriction and dieting. And then they're going to binge on it again. And we just repeat this for eternity. (laughs) Because they were restricted in their childhood. And their parents at the time really thought, oh, no, I'm doing something good. I'm not feeding my kids sugar. They never taught their kids how to regulate around those foods. Because believe it or not, it really is possible to have all those foods around you at all times and really not think about them. And I'm sure you know this. Exactly. Like that's that's how it should be. But every time people are around those foods, most of the time they're like, oh, I can only have one. They're like, I can't have any. And it just creates this like, horrible feeling around food yeah. and it's all all because of how and, and you know it's unfortunate because their parents really thought like oh i'm doing something really good and i do truly think that parents do the best they can with the information they have at the time so like when i was growing up the information that parents had at the time was weight watchers and diet magazines and things like that and now there's just so much more research and so much more information available about really how to raise kids to be intuitive eaters and to kind of stay on that path versus essentially using strategies that take that away from them. And Mm -hmm. so they grow up not being in tune with their body. Totally. And usually there's no ill intent with the things that you do with your kids and and things like that, right? (laughs) Just just what you think is right. And you follow through with that. And then, you know, we realize that, Hey, X, Y, and Z happened because of that. And not to say that those things can be unlearned. I mean, we do that with adults almost every day too, right? Like there's nothing, honestly, this might sound kind of weird, but there's nothing more enjoyable than like challenging people who come to me for coaching and have this perception of like what it means to be healthy. And, and a lot of times when it comes to like coaching, nutrition, coaching, at least for me, it's like, A lot of people come to you thinking like, Hey, I want to make my best even better than it already is. Right. When in reality, it's like, how can we make your baseline worst or your baseline worst understanding or basic level of, you know, nutrition education or appreciation for your body and what it could do? How can we improve that? And that's usually where things fall in line and and your life quality of life stuff continues to improve and you can actually start making progress to your goals. But it's like, Sometimes there's nothing better than being like, Hey, our goal this week is to have a bagel and cream cheese every day with breakfast or a bowl of cereal, because you've told yourself that that's a, an off limits food, like a white 
bread, like eating that at any point throughout the day has been such this known. I was like, no, we're going to do that yeah. every day. Or how can we have a Reese's peanut butter cup, ice cream in your freezer? And can we include that every single day? And it's almost like that is some of the most important work for some people. And in terms of like unlearning or challenging a lot of those beliefs that they've been telling themselves their whole lives or things that they've been told their whole life. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's very similar. I wouldn't say it's similar to kids, but that's where it comes back to like, what are the things that you're telling yourself? What are the things that you perceive to be true and not true? And are you living in this, in this area of black or white when it comes to nutrition? Because at the end of the day, there's nothing black and white about nutrition, like the context and the intent with which we do things like it matters. And that can change day to day, you know, year to year. And, and, you know, especially with our kids and the message that we relay to them. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I'm curious for you, uh, Kristen, slight pivot here, but just for me as a curiosity standpoint, because I found at least myself, like I've been putting myself through a lot of, like I say case studies, but going through a bulk and going through a cut and taking all these functional lab tests and just putting myself through all these things that, you know, I'm also still always trying to grow and evolve as a coach and as a practitioner and in things that I offer and the the messages that I portray to my clients and my audience on social media. But I feel like there's a lot of value in going through things for the first time in order to have some sort of opinion on it or to be able to like, you know, have some information to help other people go through what maybe you are going through at the time. And I'm curious how if any at all, your relationship with your body, with exercise, with nutrition has changed since having kids versus you going to college. Hey, I'm, I'm an education major. Now I'm going to nutrition. Now I'm going to teach the boot camp classes and, you know, helping people lose weight has been really fun in a different way for me. Like, at least for me, I've found that like, there's been this transition of like, Hey, vanity is the most important thing. How do you look naked? Like, like, do you fit this mold that, you know, diet culture in the society is expecting of males and females? And you go to that place of extreme and I'm coming back to this place of like, what are the things that I can do to make sure that I'm healthy for my kids and to change their relationship with exercise? So, you know, I think there's a lot of value in people going through those things, right? But if I can help somebody from taking the long way and, and giving them a shortcut, I'm going to do that. So I feel like I've been experimenting with myself in that sense, but how has in a long worded way, how has <laughs> your perception of exercise and fitness and diet changed? Maybe not even as a kid, but you going to college to where you are now as a mom, if at all. Yeah. Great question. So I think every person who's like a personal trainer and dietitian combined goes through that vanity stage where like, that's what you focus on, especially when you're younger. Cause like you have time <laughs> to be honest. Like I don't have time to really worry about that anymore. Not that I don't have time to worry about it, but it's not the most important thing to me anymore. It's not as important as it used to be. Um, if you ask any of my kids right now, why does mommy exercise? They will say to make, to, to make her stronger. So she gets stronger to make her feel better and to be a better mommy. <laughs> so nowhere in there do they mention to burn calories, to get a flatter stomach, to punish herself, like nothing. They've never even heard that. They have no idea that like some people exercise for that reason. Um, and I wouldn't say I was ever really like 
severely in that camp where like I would eat something and then feel like I have to punish myself and like work it off. But I definitely was more conscious of like how I looked and like kind of fitting the part of being a dietitian and, and uh, a personal trainer combined. Which is a um, pressure, honestly, like to yeah. feel that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, now that I've had kids and I, and I realized the impact that, that I have on them, um, as far as like the lifestyle I live, I've just made a conscious effort to a be consistent. So it's not, it's no longer about, Ooh, like how much can I deadlift? Like how much can I bench? It's about showing up consistently. That's literally my goal right now. Consistently get there four times a week. That's it. Um, I, I used to be one of those people that worked out six days a week, sometimes seven, sometimes two a day, right? No longer would I ever be able to do that. No, no way would I ever be able to do two workouts a day at this stage of my life. So I'm so glad I'm like, I have a healthy mindset with exercise and food where I don't feel like I need to do two a days anymore. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm consistent and I talk about how exercise makes me feel good and it feels, it's very empowering for me to feel strong. Um, and it also gives me kind of like a stress release so that I can be a better mom. And I even say to them, I'm like, sometimes when I don't exercise, I lose my patience faster and I end up yelling at you. Right. <laughs> so there've been times where they're like, you know, I'll yell at them, whatever you, you, it's funny because prior to becoming a parent, I was like, I'm never going to yell at my kids. Yeah. You're going to fucking yell at them. It's fine. <laughs> they are annoying as fuck. Like, that's just the reality of it. But to the point. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but they will say, some, like, if I'm like, particularly it's a bad day and I'm yelling, they're like, did you exercise today? <laughs> and sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes yes and it's just one of those days that's really challenging but i love that they ask me that i love that that's their perception of exercise you exercise to feel better you exercise to get stronger that's their that's the reason for exercise so i hope they grow up like understanding that that's the most important thing when it comes to working out and exercise is doing it to make your body feel good and if you're not in tune with your body, you don't know what makes it feel good. So it all goes hand in hand, exercise, eating, feeding, food, all of it all goes together um, as far as just being in tune with your body and knowing like, okay, I need a rest day. Like I'm not, I, I, I don't feel like working out today. I'm not up to it. Or like, I need to prioritize sleep yep. more than working out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's I think important you bring that up because I would I would write a list of 100 benefits that exercise has in like a calorie burn probably wouldn't even be on that. Yeah. Top 100 list. And yeah, but that's not what people think of exercise as. True. And, and like I get I do get the sentiment and I do understand like maybe where that fits into you know, these equations that we're thinking about when it comes to people trying to lose weight and I like. I don't think that you can discredit or or shit on people for wanting goals as parents or adults. Like like if you're somebody who loves triathlons and you're still competitive and that's, you know, something that you love, like I still think there's a lot of value in being able to continue to do that um while you have your kids. But again, it's like what is important to you and in 
in not letting the outside world influence like what you think is important to you. And I think for you, it's like coming full circle and being able to appreciate it's like, Hey, vanity or looks or looking the part was very important to me at one point, but now I don't give a shit about any of that. And now I do it for the mental health reasons and, you know, being able to be more functional and mobile for my kids as I continue to get older and to be able to help them see that it is possible to have a healthy relationship with exercise when I do that. And I think that's super valuable. And I think it's weird to say this, but it's like, it's almost like people need permission to allow themselves to think that way sometimes, which is really sad, right? Like, and maybe that comes from people not being able to get out of the mindset of like, Hey, I work out because it makes me look better naked, or I need to burn calories, or if I don't do that, I'm going to get fat or X, Y, and Z. It's almost like we just need to, one, bring awareness and an understanding that that's not the only reason to exercise, especially to the children that you know we, we raise, but also for yourself to be able to like detach from some of those things that you thought were a priority for you at one point, and to be able to appreciate life for what it is now and, and go through different seasons of your life. So yeah, I, I found that I've, yeah. I've haven't even had kids and I feel like I'm going through that transformation on my own right now. But I know that that is something that for me, I've kind of adopted and, and been diving into this like minimalist style of like, like, what is the bare minimum that I could do from a cardio standpoint and a lifting standpoint? Because yeah. I'm not at the, yeah. the phase now where I want to get as big and strong as possible anymore, right? Like maybe that was a prior for me at one point, but what can I do to continue to progress or maintain what I've gotten so far? And, you know, do have more time for the things that I know are going to be more important to me from a business standpoint, from a family standpoint, also investing into your relationship with your spouse, if you have one and all these things. And yeah, I, I think it's, we just need to be able to say, and it's not like we're here, Hey, you have my permission to do these things. Like you have my permission to do whatever the fuck you want to do. But as long as you're making an informed decision around that and, and you feel good with that. And that decision hasn't been made for you in a sense, you know? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, part of that comes from unlearning things or challenging the things that maybe you've been telling yourself forever. And it's just, it's very difficult to do. And it's hard because I find that, I I find that it's, it's something that we all have in common, right? Eating and exercising, like to an extent, mostly everybody does that. And the clients that you have and the friends that you have, like we all do it. So we all have this, you know, perception of, you know, how that fits into our life. And if that is the best or not, you know, and and I I think what I'm trying to say is like the level of, you know, certainty that people have when they give advice to other people is fucking crazy to me, especially when it comes to um, unsolicited advice and comments from parents. And I, again, I think the intent is, is there, I think don't, people don't have a bad intention with that or anything, some of them, but it's uh, yeah, it's amazing to see how many you know, other parts of our environment, social media, what we've learned as kids, how much that influences what we do day to day. And I think that sometimes it takes working with somebody or following different accounts that maybe you don't agree with on social media or being able to like put yourself outside of your comfort zone, so to speak, and, and to be able to like grow as a parent or as an adult. So you can, you know, better teach that to your kids as they grow up as well too. So. Yeah, for sure. I think challenging, like just because your parents did something doesn't mean that's what you have to do. There's so many other better ways of doing things. Potentially it's really up to a parent to learn all that. And it's scary. 
Cause it's like, no one gives you a handbook. Like, Hey, Oh, you just had a baby. Here you go. This is what you do. This is how you raise a human. <laughs> um, so we tend to kind of default to what our parents did with us, whether, you know, that's like discipline, punishment, feeding them, like encouraging them to move their body. Like whatever our parents told us is pretty much what we're going to default to in the moment. And again, even when you kind of say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. In the moment when you're emotional and you're like tired, low on patience, whatever, you're going to default to what you were told for years of your life growing up. Um, and so it's, it really is up to us to have an open mind and be like, wait, OK, maybe there's a better way. Let me, let me look into this. Let me see what other strategies can I use? Cause this doesn't feel right. Like I remember this from my childhood. This doesn't feel good to me. What are some other ways I can handle these situations? Um, I think that's, it's just a very, very important thing to have an open mind as a parent and be willing to adjust as things kind of come up. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to, you know, take new information in and implement that in your own way, in your own life with your kids. I think that's, yeah, it's, it's like a literal superpower if you're able to do that and continuously challenge the, the way that you think. And it's hard because again, a lot of us and myself included, like we all have our own sense of this ego and this sense of pride and this appreciation for the way that we do things and thinking that that's the gold standard, you know, for everybody. When in reality, maybe that could improve or maybe the things you are doing well, but you're blind to the things that could be better, right. Or things you could continue to improve on. And, um, I want to, as we kind of wrap this up here later, um, I want to do a slight pivot and it's just something that I thought about. So hopefully this isn't a train wreck, but it's just, uh, I want (laughs) to give you some of these traditional practices when it comes to feeding our kids as they grow up and just talk about some of these things, maybe some pros or why we do these things, but also talk about some of the negative you know, or some of the shortcomings or negative things that could happen as a result of doing those practices, you know, whether that was something you learned as a kid or that's something that you've adopted as a parent, because you think that that's the best thing to do. And these are likely things that I would say everybody has heard of or has known about or has done at one point in their life. Um, but I'm going to yeah. give you maybe five or six of them and we could talk a couple minutes about those. Yeah, um, sure. And then again, you can tailor it to, you know, whatever population that you talk to, the most about or just life in general. Cause I know it, it, it depends on when you're working with six year olds and three year olds compared to 12 year olds and 14 year olds. Right. So always remember like nothing about this is absolute, but there's a lot of practices that exist today that we are exposed to. And we hear about one of them is bribing, right? Like this idea that, Hey, if you eat this, you get to receive this or because you exercise, you get to do this today. Talk about how that may play out um, from a parent to a kid standpoint. And is there anything that is positive from that? And like, I understand maybe where that might come from, but what are the, you know, possible outcomes from a negative standpoint that could be a result of that down the road? Yeah. Um, okay. So bribing pot, here's the positive. It 100% works in the short term. Totally works. Totally gets your kids to do whatever you're trying to do. And I will say that there are certain moments of parenting where you got to get them to do something right at that fucking moment. And bribing is the only way to do it. 
whether it's because like their safety is involved or like you're on a time crunch for whatever reason, driving works in the moment. The thing I always encourage parents to think about is long-term. What are you actually teaching them in the long-term by bribing them? And, you know, for example, like, okay, I'll give you a piece of candy if you get in your car seat or, um, oh, like potty training. Very, very popular to like use food to like bribe your kid to pee or poop on the potty. Um, what are you actually teaching them about the food you're using to bribe them? You're teaching them that I have to do something to earn this food, right? Because you're not going to bribe your kid with broccoli. Your kid's not going to do anything for broccoli, but they're totally going to do something for Skittles <laughs> or M&Ms or whatever. So I, like I said, I always encourage parents to think about long-term effects of using bribing consistently. The, again, there's going to be times where you, you just got to get your kid to do something. I get it. Save bribing for those times. It will be super effective because you're ne you don't use it. You don't use it. So your kid is going to be like, whoa, yes, I'm still going to do that. But because it's not consistent, they're not going to have this like disordered relationship with the food that you're bribing them with because it's something you pull out of your back pocket, you know, once or twice a year to like get them to stop running across the parking lot or something. Right. Yep. Whereas if we're using this daily, it becomes ingrained in them that they have to do certain things to earn those foods. No, yep. no, you don't. Becomes so, a very like transactional way of thinking about yeah. you know, what you do in return for other things. And yeah, again, that's whether you start it that. Just create, and, and, then, yeah. and then if they eat that food at a time where they didn't quote unquote earn it, they feel guilty. And we know any type of guilt, like any type of guilty feeling related to food never equals a positive, positive thing. It usually equals dieting, restricting, and then binging, and then repeat forever. Totally. And yeah. in that same, you know, sentence like guilt, I think shame is another word that is brought up a lot too. Um, mm -hmm. But coming to the next kind of topic, like how does shame fit into things? How do you see that? in normal day-to-day -day lives when it comes to parenting, even when it's talking to yourselves and being a parent working towards your own things, how does shame fit into that equation? And, and what are the negative repercussions because of that? Yeah. So that's an interesting one. Cause I don't feel like parents view it as shaming. So sometimes when I am talking to a parent and I'll use that term, they're like, Oh no, I don't, I would never do that. But an example of shaming would be um, you know, for example, you have siblings sitting at a table and one of the siblings happens to eat everything on their plate. And you say to your other child, look at, look at your brother. He ate everything. Why can't you eat everything? And most parents are like, oh, that's shaming. I'm like, yeah, you're making your kid feel bad <laughs> that they're not eating everything compared to their sibling." And again, it, there's really, it might create a short-term positive outcome where they're eating the food because they've just been shamed about not eating it. But what does that do long-term? Don't you want them to eat the food because they want to eat it? Because they're hungry? Because they enjoy it? 
or do you want them to eat it because they feel like they have to, which is the opposite of listening to your body, right? So maybe that maybe that night their sibling was more hungry than them. It's fine. That happens, right? Um, so shaming is is an interesting one because I don't think parents even realize they're doing it sometimes, or they do they they just don't label it as that. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good example explaining that of like this clean plate club, because that was literally the next one on the list that I was going to ask you. <laughs> the clean plate club kind of cracks me up because I, I get the sentiment too. And, and like, you know, people will bring the conversation around like, oh, you know, wasting food and X, Y, Z and all this shit. But it's like, like I, me thinking about it, like, I don't even know the nutritional needs of a two-year-old, let alone a 14-year-old. Like, and you know, parents aren't fucking out there weighing every portion of meats and, and all these things. So Nor it's, should they? yeah, Never. it's this idea of like, Hey, just because I loaded this plate for you means you should finish that. Like, mm. tell me your thoughts on that and, and how that plays out, um, in the all long right. run, so, because that's definitely something that I've worked on with my own clients and understanding that's where maybe understanding how to build your plate, things like that can come into play. But as an adult, I, I see that last the longest with some people, especially, 40s, 50s, 60-year-olds, you know, yeah. just shit that they've been raised on. So it definitely, I feel like that was a strategy that was used a lot in like the 40s, 50s, 60s, like the people born in in those decades. And I really think it stemmed from a generation that was just taught not to waste. Right. And I I'm sensitive to that. I don't like wasting food either. I don't, I, I really, I totally, especially now, eggs are like $10 a dozen. What what is going on? <laughs> but um, now what I think parents do as far as serving their kids is number one, they serve them way too much food. They serve them like adult portions. So one of the reasons for food waste is because you're just giving your kid too much food. Like that's why. So I always encourage parents, if you're worried about wasting food, Give your kids really tiny portions. They can always ask for more. In fact, you should encourage them like, hey, if you want more, like there's more of this over here. So rather than, you know, if it, because a lot of parents will tell me like, well, I hate wasting food. That's, that's the advice I give them. Okay, totally sensitive to that. Serve them smaller portions, right? Um, but basically, essentially what you're teaching a kid to do when you're forcing them to clean their plate is to override their hunger and fullness cues. So they their tummies might already be full, but you're telling them like, nope, you have to clean your plate. You have to clean your plate. And over time, many, many years of doing that, they no longer recognize when they're full. So now they're used to cleaning their plate at every meal, every snack, even if maybe they didn't need all that food. Um, and then their hunger, like th that messes with their hunger too. And their hunger levels are all messed up. So parents don't necessarily think about it from that standpoint. But when I explain, you know, it's better for you to ask your child, oh, is your tummy full? Okay, you know, maybe next time I'll serve you a little bit less food so we don't waste food. That's something I talk to my kids a lot about because I don't want them throwing away a whole plate of food, you know, and I don't want them thinking that's okay. Um, so I will tell them like, listen, Cause now they're, they're a little bit older where they can like serve themselves six-year-olds. Right. Um, so they'll be like, I want to put it on my plate. Don't, you don't do it. I'm like, okay. And sometimes they put like 
a ton of food on the plate. And so I'll say something like, hey, you're, is your tummy really that hungry? And they'll say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then at the end of the meal, if they haven't finished it or there's a lot left, I'll talk to them and be like, hey, you know, listen, it looks like your tummy got full before you finished all that food. Maybe next time we'll take less so that we're not wasting as much food, right? So it's also teaching them that too, that, you know, in the world we live in, there's usually more food to get if they want. You don't have to go up. That's another thing that like, you know, happened a lot in like the 40s, 50s, 60s. It was like, this is the amount of food that you get. You don't get more. That's it. <laughs> we don't really have that problem uh, as much now. Um, certainly in some households, I'm sure that's true. But it's not, it, it's so much better to just have your kids take smaller portions and for them to ask for more if their tummies still need more food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because like my my grandfather was born in 1920 or 1919 or something like that. And they lived through like the depression, like, like that was a real thing. And, and I, I, yeah. the sentiment, I, I appreciate that, but I, I like what you said of like, we just give a shit ton of food and that expectation for them to eat everything is often then perpetuated when we get older and then you go out to eat and our portion sizes as a country are fucked up as it is too. It's like you go yeah. out to dinner and that's like two portion sizes. Right. And, and we have this idea that we need to clean it all. And it, it's, it's just something that's very hard to get out of that cycle of unless you start from an early age. And it's not something you can't unlearn, but it's very difficult for people to wrap their heads around, you know, as they continue to get older, just like with a lot of yeah. bad habits with that too. And I, I'm not relating kids to dogs at all. I, I understand how this <laughs> might sound, but it's been fascinating to me because from a puppy, when we got our dog a couple of years ago, I had the intent of just because I knew that my sister did this as well, but being a free feeder and just having food available in my dog's bowl all day and in seeing that. And again, you can't compare dogs to dogs and breeds. Like, like there's so much that plays into it. Yeah. And I know like if you just let a lab free feed all day, that fucker will probably eat everything inside all day and not ever stop. <laughs> but it's been very fascinating to me because I've noticed that even with my dog, we always have food available. She eats when she's hungry. She stops when she's full and you can see half a pole is left or maybe she eats yep. the the bowl completely gone. I fill it up immediately and she's done eating after that. But it's, it's, I feel like it's a very similar principle of like, Hey, there's always more, but don't feel like you have to eat everything or just eat as you know, you intuitively want to feel. And I think that's where the intuitive eating approach does wonders for people, especially at this age. But yeah, it's uh it's just not something that's programmed to us from an early age. So yeah, I think that's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. And last kind of thing that I wanted to, to ask about is this idea of, um, labeling foods as like special or as a treat or as, um, something you don't get very often, right. Or even labeling things as far as junk food or bad foods. Like, again, this goes back to the language that we use, but you know, I, it's funny, we've talked about this before, but one of your reels on Instagram yeah. went completely viral, like millions of views because yeah. it was one of those. I still like, get, I still get likes crazy. on it now. Yeah. It August. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's, it was one for the people who haven't seen it or don't know what the fuck we're talking about. It's like this reel of like, what's something that you do is highly controversial, but do it anyway, or something like that. Or were you something you'd say you might add to that, but it was like leaving Halloween candy or letting them eat it daily or having a piece of candy daily or whatever it is. I'm butchering this, but um, how do you, how do you, you, you know, you can explain that too, but how yeah. would you reframe the verbiage or the language that we use around these foods 
And how do you see that play out versus how does that impact people long-term? Yeah. So, all right. So just to clear up the real, uh, <laughs> the, the audio you. with it was what's something you do that, or what's something you'll do that you, you'll get a lot of hate for that I get a lot of hate for. And what I said was, when my kids are asking for candy or are obsessed with candy, I offer it to them more often. And lots of people had feelings about this. <laughs> um, and I got lots of interesting comments, still getting lots of interesting comments. But essentially, we view candy as bad, right? Like society will shove down our throat every day. Candy is bad, 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 bad. But yet... Here's the funny thing, going back to bribing, we'll use candy as a bribe, but yet we tell our children it's bad. And they're like, what? <laughs> you told me it's bad, but now you're like giving it to me. So I do this thing, very confusing to them. So it's it's just very confusing to label foods as good and bad to children. The best thing you could do is just stop calling it good, bad, treats, junk, whatever. Just call candy, candy, right? Um. So that like having neutral language around those foods takes a lot of practice because we're all conditioned to call it good, bad, but it really does a lot for kids in terms of encouraging them to listen to their bodies long-term and kind of drown out that external noise of foods being good or bad, because they will realize if I eat a ton of candy, I'm going to feel like garbage. <laughs> they will realize that. And they will remember it the next time. It might take a few times. That's fine. Who hasn't eaten a bunch of candy and felt like crap? Like I've definitely done it. I remember doing that. Um, and I think even, so a lot of, this is a question I get often. Okay, I'm giving my kids candy and they keep wanting more and more and more. How do I say no or how do I stop them and still remain neutral? So rather than saying, no more sugar. It's so bad for you. It's, you know, it's going to make you sick or whatever. You can say, oh, that's all the candy we're having right now. We'll have more tomorrow. So that's setting a boundary around the food, but you're not labeling it as good or bad. You're just saying, hey, that's all we're having today. We'll have more tomorrow. So they don't feel restricted because you just told them we're going to have more tomorrow. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. It could be this weekend or whatever day. But you're setting the boundary around the food and then letting them know that they will still have access to it at some point. You're not saying no more. I'm throwing all of this away and you can't have any until next Halloween. We know that's not going to happen. <laughs> we know that's not going to happen. So that's, that's kind of my thoughts on labeling food as good and bad and how to handle it around kids when, you know, maybe you don't want them to eat half a pound of candy. Like I get it. I, I don't necessarily let my kids eat unlimited access to candy, but when I do notice that they're a little bit obsessed with it and they keep asking, I will offer it more often. And what happens is I'll offer them some every day for like a week. And then they just stop asking me because the novelty has gone. It's no longer this like special off limits food to them. They just, they're like, cool. Yeah. Candy. So that way I know when they go to a friend's house someday, or they're out in the world someday and they can go to any drugstore they want and purchase candy. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. They're not going to go crazy and buy like, you know, the giant child's play bag of <laughs> dots and 
and, and binge on that. So the whole point is not labeling foods as good and bad so that they can understand how foods make them feel and also setting realistic boundaries around food and still remaining neutral about it. Yeah, that's gold. That's gold. Thank you for taking yeah. me inside the mind of a dietitian mom because <laughs> you know, I think we do have the luxury of being able to think of things in these ways and having these experiences where we work with clients who we've talked through these situations with people. And I say we, but you, but me having similar situations to other things pertaining to my clients a little bit more in the population that I serve, but like, it is a luxury for us to be able to have practiced this and learned about this and implemented this and have this sense of trial and error. And it's very similar to parroting too. I think at the end of the day of like, it's a daily process. You, yep. you know, if you don't, if you fuck up one day and you bribe or you shame or you give them the iPad or whatever it is when you normally wouldn't have, don't look at that day as like a failure. Same as like if you were dieting and, and you, you know, had an amazing weekend and binged and drank everything in sight. It's like, hey, that can be part of the track. And it's it's how we respond to that. And how do we talk yeah. to ourselves after those things? And how do we continue to implement and try and get better? the same thing with parenting and my perception, at least, and some of the stuff that I've grabbed today. So it's, it's an imperfect system. I think a general recap would be lower your expectations and, and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you could have a plan going into it, but don't panic when that plan inevitably goes to plan Z and being able to just, you know, take the punches as they roll and continue to grow as, as yourself, because it's one thing to continue to give all your energy and attention and effort into your kids. I get that, but you also need to to continue to, like you said, work out for your mental health and, and get steps and and to do the things that, you know, you need to do to take care of yourself so you can be there and be more present and take care of the, the people that you love and that you're raising. So yeah, yeah. it's, um, this was a really good today. I think we're going to end it at that right there. But, cool. um, I, th I think one of the biggest take-home messages, at least that I got was like, how can we maintain this level of neutrality when it comes to a lot of the things that we're we're talking about that we're doing, you know, keeping things in context and being able to talk through things. And, and it's one thing to have the actions. It's another thing to talk about. It's another thing to continue to, to implement that and to explore that with your kids as well. So when they get to age seven and eight and nine, like all the work that you've done up until that point, likely just continues to snowball in, in a direction that you'd like it to. And that is beneficial for the kid. Cause really at the end of the day, that's what we're most, you know, enthralled with is this idea of like, how can we take care of our kids? How can we not fuck up our kids? And it, it's, uh, yeah. it's not this again, <laughs> black or white thing that, you know, you did it or you didn't at the end of it. It's like, how do all these experiences add up to when they're a teenager, when they go off to college and when they're experienced and, and exposed to all these different things that come their way. So, yeah. 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 Totally agree. Yeah. Really good job. Why don't you just plug where people can find you, social media, anything that you have, yeah. I'll, I'll add everything in the description as well, but um, just tell people where they can find you. Yeah. So I'm mainly on Instagram and my handle is nourishing.strong.families. So you can find me and everything I have coming up on there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kristen. You're, you're awesome. This was gold. Selfishly, I learned a lot. I know people listening to this are going to learn a lot as well. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you so much. And you never know, I might have you on for another round two of this. Cause I don't think you can talk enough about parenting and honestly, every topic that we talked about today, I think we probably could have talked for an hour on it at least. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm like, I could talk about this forever. Sure. <laughs> it's so for good. Sure. I love that. Well, thank you again. And, uh, hope you have a good one today. Yeah.
Thank you for having me. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.